There were 12 of us, and we all went to a movie. It was our family of four, my parents, and my sister, and her husband, and her four kids. And so naturally, the snack order cost more than the movie tickets, and there were two massive buckets of popcorn, because honestly, if you're going to order from the snack bar, you know you're getting ripped off as soon as you walk in, and they're like, for a quarter more... We'll triple your popcorn. It's like, sure, whatever. But there were two, two buckets of popcorn that were just going up and down the row. And the beauty of that is, well, there's free refills on the, on the large bucket. Not on the small, but on the large bucket. Like, that's just so America, right? Like, on the large bucket, free refills. So we, we got that, and, and we're passing it down. And five minutes into the movie, both buckets are empty, and we've got to get the refills. And so we go out, and we get the refills, the, the more buckets of, of popcorn. They're refilling their sodas. And then the movie's over. Everybody had a good time. And then it was dinner time, so we went to dinner. And what kind of dinner do you need to eat right after you've had multiple buckets of popcorn? Well, the only answer that should come to your mind is a, a light dinner like Mexican food. Because what is, what is more light on the stomach than fajitas or a burrito mixed with massive amounts of chips and salsa right after you've devoured two large buckets of popcorn? So at least that was our thing. So that's what we did. We went out for Mexican food right after the movie theater feast. And none of the kids ate anything. They, they maybe ate a taco. One of my nephews, uh, he ate, we call him Two Chains. Two Chains ate, uh, he ate a taco. And then as, as we were leaving, I look over and he wasn't looking so hot. I'm like, you all right? He's like, I'm never going to eat again. Never going to eat again. And, and later that night, he, he wasn't feeling great. And uh, he just said, I'm, I'm never going to eat again. And he was laying on the couch. He had a, he had a stomach ache. And uh, lest you be concerned, I'm here to report eight hours later, he had French toast for breakfast. So alas, this idea of I'm never eating again lasted about, I shouldn't say eight, it was about 11 hours. 11 hours, and then he was feasting on a, night, on a nice light breakfast of French toast. It's just one of the facts of life. One of the facts of life is that we're going to, we're going to get hungry. It's, it's just how our bodies work. It's how our bodies have been designed. And one of the things is we are going to always get hungry again. No matter how full we will get, no matter if it's your favorite meal, whatever that is, and you can just gorge yourself, no matter how full you get, there will come a point where you will again become hungry. And this morning, we're going to start a, a brand new look over the course of the next seven weeks. So I thought one of the best ways that we could start 2020 was to really look at, at Jesus and, and who Jesus is. And what better way to discover who Jesus is than to see who Jesus told us he is. And that's not bad grammar for those of you who are thinking that Jesus is eternal, so we can't talk in the past tense about him but to see who Jesus is. And there are seven statements we're going to look at over one of the Gospels, the Gospel of John, where Jesus said, I am. And then he went on to describe himself. And the very first of that we're going to look at today. So if you have your phones or your tablets, I'd invite you to follow along with us in the Bible app. And we're going to be looking at the very first one of those statements, and, and that is in John chapter 6. So we're going to start our look in John 6, where Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And what I love about this is Jesus uses 
an example of something that everyone is familiar with and everybody needs, this idea of food. And we're going to see how Jesus will satisfy us. So John 6, 22 says this, On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and they went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. So let's just stop and talk about what's going on. And it's something we're coming in at at a place where you're all familiar. You're all familiar with what has just happened. The day before, Jesus had fed over 5,000 people. Jesus had fed over 5,000 people with just five loaves of bread and two fish. It was miraculous. It was miraculous. There was quite a crowd that was converging. They'd heard about Jesus' ministry. They'd, they'd heard about the miracles. They wanted to experience what was going on. And everybody's there, and they're in a remote place, and they don't have a way to, to feed everybody, and they don't have enough money amongst Jesus and all his disciples to feed everybody, but the crowds are getting hungry. And one of the disciples finds a kid who has five loaves of bread and two fish, And Jesus says, bring them to me. And over 5,000 people eat to the point everybody is full and there are leftovers. It is absolutely miraculous. Later that night, Jesus wasn't done. Later that night, the disciples, they they got in a boat and went off. and, And Jesus didn't get in the boat with them. He went off by himself. But then he joined them and he walked on the water. So these, these are the events that are happening right now. It's a really exciting point in Jesus' ministry, and the word's gotten out, and people want to see. They want to see what's going on. They want to know what's happening. And so they are all gathering about, and they're looking for Jesus. And when they found him, verse 25 says, on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him God the Father has set his seal. What Jesus says to them is the reason that you're looking for me isn't because you want to find me. The reason that you're looking for me is because you want something from me. You want something from me. You, have, you want something from me, but you have greater needs than what you even realize. And I'm fascinated by this. And I'm wondering, is this true in our lives? That we love the idea of Jesus. We love the idea of what Jesus does for us and what he can do for us. But we miss the greater purpose in that process. Many times we want the things that Jesus offers, but we want them on our own terms. We want them how we want them. We love the ideas that Jesus talks about, but we all want to design Jesus so that he looks an awful lot like you and I. Instead of us discovering who Jesus really is. Because when we go in that process, there are things that can make us uncomfortable. There are things that can stretch us. We want God on our terms, and we want God to provide for the things that we want. But Jesus has a greater purpose than that. 
And he looks at this crowd and he says, you're all here because I fed you. You want free food. That's why you're here. And let's be honest, who amongst us doesn't like free food, especially when it's good? We all like free food. It's like, yeah, it's good. It's good. And when the free food's actually good, bonus. It doesn't get much better than that in life. It really doesn't. It really doesn't. Like, yeah, that's awesome. And that's what they wanted. The crowd wanted the food. They wanted the free food. And Jesus says, you've got a greater purpose or a greater need. And I came with a greater purpose. And it goes on in verse 28. And then they said to him, what, what, what must we do to be doing the works of God? There's their question. Is all right, we hear you say that there's something bigger that we need from you. We hear you say that, Jesus. So what do we need to do? What do we need to do to earn this salvation? And isn't that the question that's been throughout, throughout the course of human history? And it can be asked in different ways and in different terms. But at the core, once people realize their need for salvation, is this idea of how can I achieve it? What can I do to earn it? How can it become mine? That's the idea that's been prevalent throughout all of human history. And here's their question, where they hear Jesus talk about the greater need, and their question is, well, how can we achieve it? What must we do? Give us the formula. Tell us exactly what we have to do so that we can achieve this salvation that you talk about. And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who is sent. This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. Jesus says, you're worried about achievement. You're worried about what you can do to achieve salvation. You're worried about trying to achieve it. So here's the work that you can do. Here's what you have to do. Believe in me. Believe in me. So they said to him, then what sign do you do? That we may see and believe you. What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. See, Jesus gives them an answer different than what they were expecting. They were expecting this laundry list. Maybe it's something that you've tried in your own life. This laundry list of things that you could do to earn your way into heaven, that if you do enough good, God will grant you a place with him. That was, their, that was their idea. That's what they thought they were going to be given when they said to him, all right, well, what do we have to do? And Jesus' response is, believe in me. Believe in me. That's what you have to do. The way that you can make it, to he make it to heaven, the work that you can do, is believing in me. Jesus is telling them, I am enough. And they can't wrap their minds around it. So in, in spite of the fact that just the day before, he's fed thousands of people on five loaves of bread and two fish, in spite of the fact that the night before he walked on the water, in spite of the fact that his reputation was growing and people were being healed, in spite of all of that, he gives them an answer they weren't expecting. So their response is, well, what are you going to do? Prove it. 
Their minds are blown. Their minds are blown that Jesus says, you can't earn it. You can't do anything apart from me. If you want salvation, believe in me. And they're like, that, that can't be right. That can't be right. So what sign, what sign are you going to do? How are you going to prove that this is true? Because they're saying, this can't be real. This can't be real. All we have to do is, that, that can't be, no. There's got to be more. So prove it, Jesus. What sign can you give us to prove that you're the real deal? You know, our forefathers, on their slight journey through the desert, experienced food falling from heaven on a daily basis. Our forefathers got manna. So show us what you got. What can you do? And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. He says, God gave your forefathers something to eat in manna. And he met all of their needs. And he provided for them day in and day out. And every single one of us that has kids who have complained about the food selection, we've pulled this card out. We've been like, well, at least you don't have to eat the same thing every single day like the Israelites did in the desert. Like every single one of us that has kids, we've pulled this out. And if you haven't before, you're welcome. You will now. But we've, we've pulled that out. we pulled it out. Like, oh, you, you think you've got it rough. You check this out. He says, God gave your forefathers something to eat in manna. He met their needs, and he gave them something, something to eat. But that was a preview, and that was a taste. And he says, I'm the real deal. I'm what will sustain you. Because here's the deal with manna, and here's the deal with everything that we eat. We will be hungry again. But if we experience Jesus, if we really experience Jesus, if we really allow him to transform our lives, he promises us that he is enough, that he will sustain us. He is enough. And he will sustain us. And so often in life, we, we miss out on the real deal of what Jesus is offering and what he's providing. And he's offering us something that is real and something that will fulfill us. It was years ago, and I was staying with a family for a summer because I was working a job away from home, and they were, they were not great, and they, they offered me a place to stay, and I stayed with them, and we ate a number of meals together. And one of the one of the weeks, the the wife was away, and she did all all of the cooking for the family. She was a phenomenal cook. Her, her name was Julie. She was a great cook, great cook. And and she was gone for a few days, and her her husband Marty was was at home, and he was he was cooking dinner, and he was he was trying to trying to lose some weight, so he was on a diet. And so uh, one night we sat down for for dinner, and I I picked up the picked up the bowl of mashed potatoes and, and put some on my plate and, 
and passed it around, and, and we said thanks, and, and then we started to eat, and, and one bite in, and my face betrayed me. We didn't have face masks at the time. My face betrayed me. These were the most disgusting potatoes I'd ever eaten, and I was a, I mean, I was a product of public school, so there were some real nasty lunches that I ate growing up, but I mean, this was, whew, this was next level. And uh, a little bit runny, and he, Marty just started laughing. He said, what's wrong? And I'm like, uh, the, I'm nothing. Uh, I'm like, but, but the, these taste a little different. He's like, oh, yeah, that's mashed cauliflower. Like, it was absolutely, absolutely disgusting. Absolutely disgusting. Now, I know some of you have bought into the vegan lifestyle, and that's great. I don't begrudge you at all. But do not lie to yourself and others and tell yourself that you can, you can make vegan, or you can make mashed cauliflower that's just as good as mashed potatoes. No, you can't. And this idea of pizza crust with cauliflower, like that is, I promise you, that is from hell. And you, like, I'm just, I, I'm sorry. Every good and perfect gift is from the Lord. The Lord did not provide us pizza crust with cauliflower. You do you. I'm not trying to tell you how to live your life, but don't you dare don't you dare try to impose that on people and telling them that it tastes good because it doesn't, and it will ruin your witness for Jesus if you tell them that, all right? So I'm just here trying to help you, all right? I don't care what you eat. I really don't. I really don't. But this idea of, oh, we're just going to put cauliflower in it, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to be, no, it's not. It's not. And if you like cauliflower, great. Eat your cauliflower, but just... Embrace the fact it's not as good as mashed potatoes, and it's not as good as a pizza crust, and that's fine if you enjoy it. I'm glad that you do. I would argue your taste buds, there's something wrong with them. But whatever, whatever you want to do, that's fine. But those potatoes were not the real deal. And as soon as I tasted them, I knew it. And here's the truth. Every time we try to sacrifice something for the real deal that will sustain us. Every time we buy into the marketing campaign or we buy into the lie and think this is, what's this is what it's going to take and this is going to be the thing that ultimately sustains me, we know. One bite in, we know. And we might force ourselves to keep eating it. We might force ourselves to keep going. But in our soul... We know. And Jesus says, I am enough, and I will be what sustains you. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. We want what you're talking about, Jesus. Jesus said to them, verse 35 says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. They said, we want it. We want the real deal. There's a hunger for what truly sustains. And we see that to this day. There's a hunger for what truly sustains. And the sad truth is at the start of every addiction is this hunger. At the start of every addiction is this, this hunger. And what the addiction does is it comes with the promise. It comes with the promise that it will sustain. It comes with the promise that it will, it will be enough. And every single time, every single time, we try to find what will truly sustain apart from Jesus. We're left wanting more. And oftentimes, whatever the addiction may be, it makes us feel good. 
It numbs the pain. It allows us to momentarily forget. And then we get some more, and some more, and some more. And then our lives are spinning out of control. And the reason that our lives are spinning out of control is because we desperately want what will sustain us, and we can't find it. And what used to numb that pain is no longer enough. And so it has to become more, and it has to become more, and it has to become more. And the entire time, that which will really sustain us is available and is offered to us. And it's Jesus. And I know the critic is saying that you're oversimplifying things, Brian. And, and I'm not trying to say that all addiction is, is cured the instant that you follow Jesus. But what I'm promising you is the sustaining peace and hope and love that you need is offered in Jesus. And anything we go after apart from that will never truly sustain us and fill us. Jesus offers us what will really satisfy because all of us have been created, which means we have a creator, which means we have a longing to have a relationship with our creator. And Jesus offers us that. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day, life everlasting from the one who who sustains. That is what God wants for all of us. And that is what God offers to all of us, that we could experience a life of fulfillment and a life where we find substance and joy. But it's only available. It's only available through Jesus. And if you haven't experienced that, I'm begging you, I am begging you, to investigate it for yourself and to discover that what Jesus said really is true. And this isn't, this isn't an idea that if you make the decision to follow Jesus, that all of your problems are going to go away. They're not. But it is the promise that you will find peace and you will find purpose. So how did the crowd react to this message? How did they respond? So the Jews grumbled about him. Because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And they said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? And Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. You notice it? Here's the crowd. They've heard the offer that Jesus makes that I will sustain you. I will offer you peace. I will, 
I will provide for you in a way that you will never have to hunger or search again. I am enough, and I am making it available, and you can have peace with God, and all you have to do is believe in me. You can't achieve it on your own. You can't earn it by yourself. I am the way. And how, was, how did they respond? They complained, and they grumbled, because they wanted God on their own terms and their own understanding. They wanted God on their own terms and their own understanding. And they love the idea of God. And they love the idea of salvation. But they didn't love what God commands. And they didn't love what God required. And I look at our culture today, and I'm fascinated by this because this is nothing new. But our culture today loves the idea. It loves the idea of God and it loves the idea of salvation. But the problem is our culture as a whole wants God on their terms. They want to make the requirements. And when we boil that down, what we really want is we really want God to look an awful lot like ourselves. That's nothing new. We see it here. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for, my, for the life of the world is my flesh. Jesus says, I am providing for you bread that if you eat, you will live forever. And how is that possible? Because the bread of life, who is Jesus, laid down his life for our salvation. Because the bread of life was broken. Because our creator is holy. And he's perfect. And that's his standard. His standard is perfection. And none of us measure up. We don't. The very fact that many of us make resolutions tell us that we don't measure up. We don't measure up to our, to our own ideas, let alone this idea of perfection from a holy God. But Jesus did, and Jesus does. And in God's love for us, he made a way that we imperfect people to be restored and be united with a perfect God without him sacrificing his holiness. And how is that possible? But Jesus paying the price for us. That Jesus becoming our sin. That God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become right with God. 
It's how the Apostle Paul, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, wrote it. That all of my mistakes, all of my shortcomings, all of my failures were put on him. And he paid the price for me. And what does he offer us? He offers us satisfaction. He offers us fulfillment. And my question for you as we're starting this brand new year is this. What are you depending on to be satisfied? What are you depending on to be satisfied? Is it a weight loss journey? Is it financial goals? Is it career advancement? Is it health? What is it? What is it in your mind that you've said, if I achieve this, I will be enough, I will have enough, and I will be satisfied? And the, the sad reality is this, is history will tell us, if that's all you're aiming for is that goal, if you meet it, you'll enjoy it for a while. But it won't be enough. And that doesn't mean that you shouldn't, if you want to become healthier, try to lose weight. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't have your finances in order. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't pursue a career opportunity that you love. I'm not, not discouraging any of that. All those things are fantastic things. But I'm just telling you, because I love you, and if you try to find all your significance and all of your satisfaction in those things, apart from Jesus, you will never ever, ever be satisfied. It will never be enough. And we can point to the numerous cases that we see in our culture and in our society that bear this out. That it's not enough. So what, what does that mean for us? What does that mean for those of us who do follow Jesus? Well, first and foremost, it means that we need to make sure that our satisfaction is coming from who we are in Him. But that's where we ultimately find and, and define ourselves. That we find our significance in the fact that we are God's children, and we define ourselves primarily as God's children. And what that means is all of the, all of the troubles of this life, and they will come, but we keep them in the proper perspective. We respond to defeat and discouragement accordingly. Because we have that healthy perspective. And it doesn't mean we like to lose. That means we understand. There's something bigger and larger going on. What does that mean for us, not just as individuals, but us collectively as a church? Well, it means that we, just, we need to be a church where people come in hungry. And we're glad to see them. Where people come in hungry and we're glad that they're here where their lives are a mess, and we know they're a mess. But they experience love here. And they experience the truth here. The people come in hungry because they're broken. Because they've tried everything else. Because they've gone after what they thought would satisfy them only to discover that they're still hungry. And when they walk in these doors, we love them. And we're glad that they're here. 
And we will tell them the truth. Because we have an obligation to do so. We will lovingly walk every step of the way beside them and help them any way that we possibly can to find that fulfillment that Jesus offers. I don't know about you, but I look around and I see a world that is so hungry. And I want nothing more than to see people walk in these doors hungry and to leave full. Having experienced Jesus, walking out these doors, never being hungry again, but being full because they've had an encounter and they've given their lives to the one who promises that he will sustain and he will fulfill us. And if that's going to be the case, as I hope it will be, then we need to do a couple things. First, is I'm asking you to pray with me this year. I'm asking you to pray with me this year that we will see more lives changed in 2021 here at Lakeside than we have in our history. And that's, that's not to say anything bad about our history. We're excited about what God has done historically here at Lakeside. But I just look around in a world that in the midst of a pandemic that is so desperately hungry right now. And I say, God, I don't know what you're doing and I don't know what the future holds. But God, what I know is you have assembled us in this place for a reason. And God, let us be the light to people who are so desperately needed. Let us show people that they don't have to always go through life wanting more, that there is fulfillment and there is satisfaction available. And so I am asking you to pray with me throughout this year that Lakeside would experience more lives changed in 2021 than we have in our history. And second, as people who follow Jesus, let's make sure that we remember this and we model it. that we never have to be hungry. And we have enough. And if you're in the midst of something right now where there's pain and there's hurt and there's just a question in your mind, don't walk through that alone. If you're like, I have a relationship with Jesus, but there's still this that's going on in my life where I don't feel fulfillment and I don't feel satisfaction. I don't know what's going on. Don't you dare walk through that alone. Don't you be ashamed. The enemy wants you to think, well, they'll judge you. <laughs> Just imagine what they're going to say about you. The truth is that God loves you. And we love you. We want to walk with you. And we want you to experience the life that Jesus wants you to experience. A life of fulfillment and satisfaction. God, I pray that you would work in us 
I pray that you'd work through us. God, I pray that we would position ourselves to be a place where the hungry walk in and they leave full. And God, we're not able to do that, but you are. So that's our prayer. That people would be exposed to the hope and the fullness that you offer. Jesus, change people's lives. Let them find hope here. Let us see lives change. And God, when the hungry come in, there's going to be baggage and there's going to be things that we all see, but I pray, God, that they'd experience love. And for the person here who follows you, but who doesn't feel that fullness, I pray, God, today, right now, that your spirit would just whisper to their heart, your love for them, the forgiveness that you offer, and the hope that they can have as a result of following you. Encourage our hearts and let the hungry come and leave full because they've had an encounter with you. God, use us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.